Alright guys, welcome to the Eli Kaban Podcast. Uh, really happy to have Kristen Cobet on. Um, so she's going to tell us a little bit about her program, uh, Possum, which is all about training to be an astronaut. So Kristen, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm Kristen, and I'm actually a dual citizen, so I go to Laurier in the fall and winter, and then I spend my summers in Colorado, where I was actually born and raised, so I'm taking advantage of your cheaper tuition, (laughs) and I guess where I'll start with my astronaut training is, um, so last summer, I was really looking forward to be an astronaut someday, and I just had no idea what path to take, and um, a couple people were talking about this Project Blossom on LinkedIn, So I was like, what the heck, I'll just apply for it. And only 14 people around the whole world will get accepted for it. So it was kind of a long shot, especially because I was only in my second year of university. I'm also a biochemistry student, so I wasn't sure where that would come in for astronaut training. But basically I wrote a good essay about myself. I submitted a bunch of paperwork and I got accepted. So The academy that I'm in is called the Possum Advanced Space Academy, and what Possum stands for is um, Polar Suborbital Science in the Upper Mesosphere. And basically what we do is a lot of research in the mesosphere because you can't really access it anyway because obviously it's too low for orbit and you can't access it with a weather balloon. So it's kind of uncharted territory. Hmm. So I guess that's what we've been um, looking into so far, I haven't done much of it yet because um, due to the virus, my mm-hmm. training got pushed back till August. But um, the um, the program in general is actually ran by a few um, retired uh, NASA astronauts like Nicole Scott, Winston Scott, and then there's some Russian cosmonauts like Ronnie Nader. And there's a lot of professors on the executive team as well as like the instrumentation team and some instructors because when we go there, we're doing classwork as well um but yeah so it got postponed till august unfortunately but at least it's not canceled <laughs> so. so are you are you doing some like online uh, class stuff while uh during this whole pandemic thing yeah so yeah, we've okay. been doing some webinars just um i guess we've been learning a lot about the research that some of the professors have been doing in the upper mesosphere but um regarding classwork in general we haven't been doing much of it Um, we do offer courses to the public as well. And some of them that are going on right now are life support systems. You can do a microgravity challenge and a microgravity spacesuit evaluation, as well as optical mechanics and mission simulations. So there's a lot of options and they're pretty cheap right now because of the virus. So (laughs) it's really interesting what you were talking about with that kind of area between like, like kind of just right out of uh, the Earth's orbit or whatever, right out of you know, the, the atmosphere or something. Cause like, I know I've read some books in physics where guys would send hot air balloons up to, uh, capture, you know, data about like bursts, pulsars and stuff. Like one of my, someone who's a little bit, um, weird in a sense, but Walter Lewin was, was a guy that did that. Um, and I should just mention that, you know, how we know each other, which is we wrote a paper together on like Yukawa effects uh, to like the end body problem for like the two body problem. So it's, you know, uh, similarly, I did a little podcast on the end body problem and how I did some research, uh, where we changed the, the potential to be logarithmic. And we did something where we added this, you know, exponential suppression effect to the normal, you know, Newtonian potential. So that was some, some cool work that we did together. Okay. Yeah, for what? Thank you for letting me contribute on that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was cool. Um, 
So I guess my first question was, you know, you talked about why you wanted to get into this program that was kind of spontaneous, but do you have any like role models that are like astronauts? So my initial role model ever since I was born was actually my dad. Um, my dad worked for Lockheed Martin for a really long time, and now he works for United Launch Alliance. And um, so growing up, he would take me to bring your kids to work day, and it was at a lab. So we would go in, and they would have a big factory where they're actually making the rockets. So you could go in and see the rocket being built. And then they also do... Um, They'll test explosives in a small area, and we used to go up there, and everyone had to wear their their earmuffs. And <laughs> but you know that was what got me into it—just making bottle rockets with my dad and seeing all the launches. Because we would go up to Cape Canaveral and watch some of them that he was putting on. And you know, I was always like, "Where are they going?" Because I was so young. But now, like, I don't know what I'd be doing if I wasn't seeing that stuff when I was younger. Wow. And so, what what did your dad do? Was he like an engineer? So he actually went to McMaster, but now he lives in Colorado with me. And um, so he studied mechanical engineering there. And now he is at United Launch Alliance. And I think he manages propulsion, solid rocket motors, and like ordnance design. So he's under a lot of pressure right now because (laughs) if you didn't know this, in July, they're launching another rover to Mars. Mm -hmm. And it's a ULA launch. So we're going to head down there for that. So that's exciting. What does ULA launch mean? I don't know. So ULA is United Launch Alliance, oh, and it's oh, okay. kind of like SpaceX and um, like Blue yeah. Origin, except it's not privately owned. So they're kind of like competition to my dad right now. So he's also under a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. But well, I'm really excited. Hopefully, he's not hearing this that <laughs> he has competition because it's just lowering the cost to get into low Earth orbits. So then you know someday we can go to Mars. Yeah. So yeah. Um... And- Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so no, I was just going to ask um, about that. Like, when do you see us doing something like that, going to Mars? So I would love to see it in the mid-2030s, but you really never know because it kind of just depends on who's in office here, like based off the funding for mm-hmm. like the space program in general. But like the good part about it is regardless of who's in office, if we have all these other private companies competing um for the best projects, then we could do it so much sooner. And I think that's honestly one of the biggest goals of SpaceX and Elon Musk because he yeah. wants to get there sooner. So it's really cool that someone's doing it. Yeah. It's, you know, like even when you look at history, when like the U.S. and the Russians were kind of competing, now it's on an even bigger scale because we have multiple of these little private companies. Yeah. And it's exciting because I know other com- companies are doing it around the world. Like I think. China's looking into it and mm-hmm. India and, you know, all these other countries are really looking into it. So it will kind of force us in this space race again, because yeah. I'm sure, you know, like I think when my dad was growing up in the Apollo era, he was expecting by the age he is now that we would have colonies living on Mars and the moon and we haven't done anything. Yeah. So I really hope that, you know, we get this together and get something going. Yeah, actually, like I've jumped around a bit, but one thing I really wanted to ask you was about um, kind of like when the public could go to space. So I know like there's been suggestions about like space elevators or you know even just manned missions where like you probably have to be someone pretty rich, but you could you know be just a, a public person and go to space. What what do you think right. about that? I mean, I don't know the timeline, but the mm-hmm. fact that there's all these competitors, I'm sure people are going to be lining up 
And um, I think it would be really cool to get more people in space because honestly, there's only been, what, 500 astronauts or something like that, maybe. And, you know, if you see the Earth from another perspective, it might give us a better appreciation for it. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, so I really hope that it would be sometime soon, but you just, you never know. <laughs> yeah. What about like, um, like, I guess you would know a little bit about the training that astronauts go into. Like, do you think that it's kind of, do you think it'd be too much for someone just in the public to do that? Like to go on a, a mission? I mean, it it is tough because I know like, as of right now, I know a lot of people that have applied to the recent NASA astronaut candidate program <laughs> and, um, I know you have to have a master's degree and it used to only be a bachelor's degree. You have to have a master's degree. You need to be able to fly airplane. You know, you need to pass all these medical tests. You need to pass a lot of physical tests, a lot of academic tests. And it's, it's a lot of pressure. So I, I would love it if, more people just jumped in but you know I think in 2016 there was over 18,000 applicants <laughs> and I think this year there was 12,000 so we're making progress because I think in 2000 there was like 400 <laughs> really wow what, yeah. about, like, what is this um what is this program training you to do like when you're done this program is it something where then you'll start applying to be a, you know an astronaut Canadian or U.S. or is it something where you know, you're more qualified to do a support role? Right. So since this program is affiliated with NASA, and especially with NASA astronauts, um, like that are retired, they can give you a lot of good advice. But um, honestly, I'm doing it for the extra training. And it's stuff that Mm -hmm. I wouldn't learn in school, I wouldn't be learning this in biochemistry and, you know, doing microgravity training and Mm -hmm flying in an acrobatic aircraft it's stuff that i never would have done if i wasn't doing this so that's not you haven't done that yet right no i'm doing it in august so more pictures to come yeah um and yeah okay so i was gonna ask about like a simulator or whatever where they kind of spin you around that instead they more put you on the plane or they put you in microgravity you can do what they call a vomit comet, where mm-hmm. you do parabolas in the airplane to feel zero gravity. So mm-hmm. we'll be doing that. And I think actually one of the courses that I talked about earlier is um, like a competition for that. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but it is something that um, the program offers, which is pretty cool. But yeah, so we learn about a lot of zero gravity stuff. And um, uh, we do do um, like hypoxia training in a chamber because, mm-hmm. you know, when you're flying up at however fast, you're going to, you know, you're going to get into some places where you're not going to be able to breathe that mm-hmm. much. Hmm. So we're doing a lot of training that will come in handy one day. Yeah. What's so. the what's the kind of things you do in hypoxia training? like? So what I've seen videos from, mm-hmm. I haven't really gotten – just on exactly what we're doing but what i've seen so far is we go into a chamber and basically they lower the oxygen levels and they do give you a mask but you have to do a flight simulator during it so as if you're up there and you know something goes wrong and you're in command you need to know how to steer your spacecraft back to safety Mm -hmm. with low oxygen levels Mm -hmm. so it's kind of that kind of um simulations which is exciting yeah it's uh i mean it's it's kind of you know especially the scientists among us, like it's kind of your childhood dream, which is why I was so excited to have you on, right? Yeah, it is. You know, I'm, you know what's funny is I actually didn't want to be an astronaut growing up. <laughs> I actually went into university for psychology. 
And then I took an, on an astronomy course um, because I always liked it, but it wasn't part of my program. And then I met Professor Hieronis, and he, he was like, "Did he teach? You it? need to get out of that degree." <laughs> <laughs> did he teach the astronomy course? Yeah, he yeah, taught it when I was in first year. Yeah, and yeah. I went to his office hours and um, I asked him a few questions, and I was like, "Oh, my dad does all this stuff," and he was like, "That's so cool. What do you want to do?" And I was like, I don't know, I'm in psychology, but, you know, I always liked space. I just don't know what I'd do with it. And the more we got to talking, the more he brought me in and showed me that I was actually good at math. <laughs> I was like, well, I should get out of this and do something where I can contribute. Not saying psychology can't contribute, but just on a more scientific level, I guess. Yeah. Definitely. He influenced me to get into this, and I don't know if I would have applied for this program if I never met him. That's amazing. So. Like, you know, I I know him pretty well. <laughs> like, I talk to him on the phone a lot, and he's just, um, he's a he's a great guy. He's really, like, he really motivates you, and there's a lot of people kind of in this industry, in, in science and stuff, that will kind of put you down and, and say, like, you know, you're not smart enough to do physics, or you're not smart enough to do this kind of yeah. stuff. And he's the exact opposite. He kind of... He thinks that everyone can do it. He really is. And you know what? I've never had a professor make me come in on my off time and just talk about space and try to influence me to do something bigger when like, he saw potential in me that I, I never saw. Yeah. So yeah. Wow. yeah, I really appreciate him. Mm-hmm. So I guess you have talked to some astronauts and then like what, while at training or like, you know, obviously through the computer. Have I talked to them? Yeah. No, I actually haven't ever had real contact with them. I mean, my dad met Sunny Williams because she was up on the base one day, but I've actually never met any. And um, I think when I go to my training, I'm hoping yeah. someone will be there, mm-hmm. but we'll see. Hmm. That's cool. Um, so, like, what are you going to do after this training? So, my plan was mm-hmm. to finish my bachelor's, and mm-hmm. then I'm actually... Since I'm a U.S. citizen also, I was going to actually come back here and join the Navy. But it's really? because wow. when you go in with a bachelor's degree, you can become an officer. Yeah. Yeah. So then you don't listen to people, they listen to you, <laughs> yeah. which is always nice. And I actually want to go in for aviation because I really want to learn how to fly a plane. And getting a private pilot's license is really expensive. <laughs> huh. Funny enough, I kind of... I, I know half of that. Like, I, 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 ru- oh, I had a roommate at Laurier when I was there, and he was training to be a, a pilot, and it was, like, I think a helicopter pilot. But, like, you know, it's hundreds of hours, and it's terribly hard to get the, those kind of hours. It's funny you say that. And also, like, you know, I know that even from, you know, having uh, Chris Hadfield up at Waterloo when I was when I was going there, that, yeah, a lot of, a lot of Army guys, um, you, you know, go into the space field yeah but it's cool that yeah. i did i did uh you know i've always kind of romanticized with basic training but at the end of the day it's like something really really hard so i don't know it's if I'm hard doing... and you know what i gotta get in shape i gotta yeah. start running but it'll be worth it <laughs> yeah so you that's this isn't something that you're kind of nervous it doesn't seem like uh you know nervous to go on do the microgravity challenges or anything not really i mean i was pretty nervous when i heard about this program because I you know I kind of second doubted myself because a while ago I had a concussion because I used to play ice hockey Mm -hmm. and it 
actually took almost two years to heal and I had really bad vertigo from it. Um, so I was like, you know, I can't go on a plane. I can't go to space. I can barely stand in my bedroom because it's like I thin. but you know, eventually it healed. And I think all the fluids in my ears finally went back to normal. So I don't get it anymore. And I was like, always really terrified to fly. I went to Thailand and I was freaking out because it's like a 18 hour flight. And then I was like, you know what, this is not how I want to live my life. So I'm going to just become a pilot so I can get over my fears and we're just going to go hard. <laughs> wow. And so, I mean, you, you kind of already talked about like why space travel is important, like other than just, you know, seeing, having people be able to see the world as it, as it really is, as just a small blue and green dust in the huge universe. But why also like you, like I would just say that, you know, as you're talking about these, this competition against space, like some of the greatest um, inventin- inventions come out from space travel in the military. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I get this question all the time. Why is space travel important to me? And it seems like such an easy question, but for some reason it's always the hardest to answer because it's something that I feel in my heart is so important and people that aren't like scientifically literate where they will be like, Hey, why is the grass green? Why is the sky blue? They don't get it, you know? And it's such a stereotypical life to be, you know, be born, go to school, graduate, get a job, get married, Mm -hmm. have kids. And it's just like, that's just not the life that I want to live. And there's so much more out there. And I remember, you know, growing up in Colorado, there's a ton of dark sky spots. So we would go hiking and, you know, eventually it'd be nighttime. And I was like, where are we in this big scheme of things? And it's something that going back to someone that influenced me into doing what I'm doing is um, growing up, I met this guy named Drew and we were both, you know, total science nerds. And we didn't have a very select group of friends because we were so nerdy. (laughs) And he just kind of influenced me over the years to question everything and always be curious and I think that's something that a lot of people lose because when you're a kid and you look up at the sky you're always wondering where we are who's looking back at us what else is out there and then growing up you don't even think twice you know you Mm. don't question why is the moon not in the sky is that like why is it a full moon you know nobody questions that stuff anymore and it's sad that we lose that and it like space travel is so important to me because you know I look up there and we're on such a small dot in the middle of you know the abyss no one knows what else is out there it's like why can't we go explore it (laughs) (laughs) and plus there's so many benefits in doing um like exploring the outer space because if you think about what they're doing on the space station you know they work on water purification because you know they filter their water they don't get it delivered it's just filtered um and then you know they grow protein crystals which microgravity will allow you know optimal growth um and which can lead to development of useful drugs on earth and you know obviously the development of optics thinking about all the crazy telescopes that they make out there and you know learning the profession or the uh, prevention of bone loss through diet and exercise because if you're laying in a hospital bed how are you getting your exercise? You're going to lose all your muscle mass. And they do the same thing on Earth or on um, the space station because there's no gravity, right? Yeah. <laughs> so there's just so many things that it will 
benefit. And people don't realize that because a lot of people will look at it and be like, why are we going to colonize another planet when our planet is dying here? Mm-hmm. But it's not like exploration for the sake of exploration. It's because, you know, if you look at it, um, anything can happen on earth and the whole human race will go back to a billion years ago. You know, we're going to have to evolve another billion years. Like look at where we are right now. The fact that we live in a time where we can actually do this stuff is incredible. So we need to take advantage of that small window. Yeah. That leads really well into my next question about like, uh, you know, there's a lot of side effects from coming from space. Um, one of them being like bone density loss. Can you talk about a little bit about that? Is that something that, I mean, I guess you're prepared to do that. <laughs> I mean, I think by the time that we go to Mars, which will most likely be around a six-month journey, we'll hmm. have that stuff figured out. Because, you know, people are working on it 24-7, and research is being done there all the time. And if we can get to the moon first by 2024, um, hopefully, um, if we can do that, then we can learn what it will be like to live in such a harsh environment and then go further. Yeah. So. It's not necessarily something I'm scared of. It's something that you need to be willing to risk if you're yeah. wanting to explore such harsh environments. Yeah. I mean, it's something like it, it gradually comes back as you come back to Earth, but it's something that you kind of live with, with the rest, for the rest of your life if you become like a, an astronaut. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Last question, Kristen. Thanks, for, uh, thanks again for doing this. But um, can you tell me a little bit about the, um, the faculties? Uh, you know, at NASA or at um, where your dad works. Sorry, it's a uh, ULA. The Launch Alliance. Yeah. So some of the faculties. Yeah, like how is it when you go there? Like if, if just a normal Joe like me went there, how would it look? <laughs> well, if you're nerdy, you'll fit in. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you need to be a space nerd to do it because new stuff is happening every day, and that's the best part about being in a science program you won't be looking at the same things every day. Everything's changing. And that's something that you need to accept that everything's changing and you need to be willing to change your ideas, change your hypothesis um, because everything's going to be changing. And it's just so important to be optimistic and stay curious and just question everything. <laughs> that's, that's for everyone out there. That's code word for she can't tell me anything about these places. Cause it's all high <laughs> security. Not yet. Yeah. That's uh, that's really cool. I'll just say one last thing before we go, which is, you keep dropping this term uh, nerdy, and it's funny, like you know, between me and you, you know, do math and physics and stuff. But you know, when they were first, um, when the first astronauts were kind of being chosen, they were kind of represented as, unfortunately for you, but like the perfect man, right? And so, yeah, yeah nerdy, but still, that doesn't mean you can't, uh, you know, look good and. and be athletic and i mean and all these astronauts are very they're not just nerds going up to the space they're you know uh, extremely fit physically mentally and psychologically i mean like the pressure that they have to deal with alone is something that i don't think you know anyone on the planet really experiences yeah you know being nerdy is awesome and people need to accept that yeah (laughs) because we're changing the future (laughs) yeah exactly all right any last words before we uh, sign off Um, I don't think so, but I really appreciate you having me and I hope, you know, someday soon we get to do this again after my training and I'll get you guys updated on what's going out. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Kristen, for joining us.